Kidding. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Wednesday edition of Status Quo News. I'm your host, Kim Brown. We've got a great show and store for you today. As you see in the headline, if you thought that the war on drugs was over, you're mistaken. <laughs> because in places where drugs still remain mm, criminalized, let's say, specifically marijuana, just let somebody decide to take catch a whiff of you vaping your cannabis or blowing your joint or blowing a fat J or blunt or whatever your preference is. Yeah. If, if you happen to come across a snitch, the police still might show up at your house or even worse. Imagine if you are a terminally ill cancer patient in the hospital, trying to do your best to manage your pain at the end of life. Well, what happened in Kansas is something that we're gonna get into a little bit later. As a nurse there, or a hospital staff member, caught a whiff of a terminally ill patient vaping cannabis and decided to call the police, and the police showed up. And then the opposite of hilarity ensued, but it raises a lot of questions and a, a, to me, a still very valid conversation as to why the war on drugs still exists in this country, why the insistence upon denying people the opportunity to medicate themselves, particularly at the end of life or through a terminal illness, is still being denied to some people here in the big 21st century. We'll get into that in a bit. But uh, one of the things I wanted to begin with, first of all, let me say hello. <laughs> hello and welcome. Come on in to Status Quo, everybody. Do me a favor, give the video a like, a thumbs up. If you're not already subscribed to the channel, take a moment to subscribe to Status Coup. Consider a membership to Status Coup. And even better, head on over to Substack and sign up for the brand newly launched Status Coup Substack. Because what you can find there, as I misplaced it in front of me, but um, there is a very awesome end of um, end of year roundup about the on the ground reporting that this channel and Jordan, Ch Jordan Cheriton have done over 2022. Um, you should tune into that. You should sign up for it and be the first to know about breaking news stories and new things that are going to be published here on the Status Quo platform. Just go on over to Substack and search for Status Quo and become a subscriber to that as well. Um, who we got in here? Shout out to everyone that's coming through. Hey, Holly Horn. Hey, what's up, Carpe Diem? Where you been, Carpe Diem? Haven't seen you in a while. Love to see the folks in here coming through. Hello, Travers. Hello, Aggressive Progressive. Appreciate uh, you making some time today. Like I said, please give the video a like and a thumbs up. And the place where I wanted to begin is one of the big stories that has been happening across the country. And, and it's, a, it's a twofold story, right? So the thousands of flights, domestic flights that have been canceled over the holiday weekend largely being blamed and laid at the feet of Southwest Airlines. And Southwest is catching a lot of shit. <laughs> they are catching a lot of shit and they deserve to catch all of it because Southwest Airlines has been looking at this exact problem, staring it directly in its face for a number of years now. And instead of making the proper investments in its own infrastructure to ensure that such a collapse and such a calamitous um, catastrophe doesn't happen on, let's say, the busiest travel period of, of the entire year. Um, no, Southwest decided that it wanted to give back its shareholders dividends and make sure that it got rid of north of, you know, uh, tens of thousands potentially of its staff after receiving over well, the airline industry itself received over $50 billion in bailout funds during the pandemic. But Southwest really screwed the pooch on this one. And I want us to take a quick look at folks' direct <laughs> lived experiences. Chances are, if you've been watching the local news, wherever you are, it's a, a reporter there showing you probably acres of unclaimed baggage, but I want to hear directly from some folks. So I believe the first clip we're going to see is out of Sky Harbor Airport in Phoenix, where you are going to hear 
the announcement being made that Southwest has canceled 90% of its flights on that particular day. I think the following clip is out of Nashville, where you will see what appears to be a Nashville police officer at the gate making vague threats to passengers <laughs> that if they don't move along and take their complaints elsewhere that they risk arrest. Um, another clip we're going to see is a very distraught young woman whose baggage was in D.C. and then went to Fort Lauderdale and then she had to be on her vacation literally with zero clothes. So all of these circumstances would have been harrowing, period. But for them to come right at the holiday season, right as people were trying to get to and fro for Christmas, catch the end of Hanukkah, get the beginning of Kwanzaa, you know, people was on the move this past several days. So let's take a look at some clips we have put together of, of people's just dramatic and just exasperating experiences while Southwest canceled thousands of flights over the past few days. and her needs to leave or you'll be arrested for trespassing. Are you kidding me? Go. Are you filming that? Yeah. Okay. Right now, everybody to the unsecured side. The ticket counter will help you with any questions you have. Go. You have no ticket. You don't need to be in the secured side. Let's go. Let's keep it. The ticket just got canceled. This is, we're not here that for that flight. What a layover, like, there ain't no, like, we're not, okay. Uh -huh. We're not even here for yeah, this flight. Tampa. So are you guys all, everybody here trying to go to Tampa? I don't know. No, I mean, we're we didn't ask everybody. I got nowhere to go. Yeah, that's my wife. I got nowhere to go. Okay, so are we just going to be kicked to the curb or are you going to can't kick us out of the airport. Like, I, I can't. Um, you said you're going to arrest people for trespassing, yes. for being at a ticket counter for a If you flight. don't have a valid ticket and you're on the secured side or refuse to leave, you will be arrested. We do have tickets. We have okay. valid tickets. They're just to? not to Washington, D.C. or Phoenix. All right. Well, if your ticket is canceled, you no longer have a ticket. You understand that, right? No, no, they don't. They tell you they're going to we are told counter, at the counters that we have to see a CSA. We are told well, right now, Southwest is calling us because you guys are congregated right here and they're trying to close that gate. No, sir, we're not congregated. We're telling we're in you line to get information. Okay, well, we're telling you your information is at the ticket counter. Please go to the ticket counter. So you're sending us to the ticket outside counter. Outside of the security. Okay, that ticket counter. Okay, thank you. We've been waiting for hours, six plus hours, all of our flights were canceled. Um, once we were finally able to get to Fort Lauderdale, we were told all of our bags, all of our luggage was still stuck in BWI. So I went on a cruise, four day cruise with literally zero luggage. I get back to Fort Lauderdale, they tell me my bags are still here. I come back here, they're telling me my bags are now being sent back to Fort Lauderdale. I live here in DC. My bags are being sent to Fort Lauderdale, why? and they just don't care she's telling me my bags are here right now but they're not going to go pull them they're going to be sent to fort lauderdale and then sent back what sense does that make now i have to wait five plus days to get my luggage this is
No one knows what to say. Even the poor agents sitting uh, behind counters have uh, quietly admitted that this is absolutely insane. Absolutely. It clearly seems like Southwest has lost their ability to control the situation, and there may need to be some type of federal intervention to help them rectify what has caused, I'm sure, millions of dollars of, of damage to families that otherwise have been depending on these days just to get some type of R&R. Last clip was courtesy of The Hill. And, you know, the passenger brings up a very interesting point. There should be some sort of federal intervention. But what does that look like? What does that look like when the airline lobby is amongst one of the most powerful, spends the biggest money on buying politicians on Capitol Hill? The airline lobby, the airline lobby calls, directs, um, health policy in America. Don't you guys remember? Was it the Delta Airlines CEO who sat in front of some congressional committee and said, hey, you know, that 10 day period that the CDC has mandated that workers take 10 days to make sure they're not contagious and coming back to work spreading, you know, COVID. Uh, how about we cut that down to five? And then the next week, wasn't it Fauci got on got on TV and said, you know, we're going to cut that waiting period down to five. Listen, the airlines are among the biggest shot callers in terms of policy and power within the United States. But does the federal government intend to do anything about it? Well, let Secretary of Transportation, Pete Buttigieg, he has been all over the news, really talking loud and saying a lot of nothing. I hear him talking. <laughs> I hear him attempting to put a little bit of bass in his voice and say that, you know, there's going to be accountability for the airlines. Is it though? Let's take a listen to Pete Buttigieg. He made an appearance on CNN. Again, saying the right things, but being very nonspecific when it comes to what accountability for this type of scheduling collapse over a very busy holiday period, what does accountability look like for a company such as Southwest coming from the federal government? Let's take a listen to Secretary Buttigieg. This is an unacceptable situation. You look at the number of passengers who are stranded. Uh, you look at how hard it is even to get somebody on the phone to address it. Uh, from what I can tell, Southwest is unable to locate even where their own crews are, let alone their own passengers, let alone baggage. Uh, so uh, I conveyed to the CEO our expectation that they are going to go above and beyond to take care of passengers and to address this. Uh, they indicated a number of issues that they're having with uh, systems, uh, legacy systems for managing uh, their, their schedule and where their crews are. Uh, but the bottom line is uh, the rest of the aviation system has been on the road to recovery since the worst days of the storm going into Friday of last week. As of today, as I'm looking at the different airlines, most of them are in the low single digits in terms of cancellation rates, uh, averaging, averaging about 5% for all of the other airlines. Uh, for Southwest right now, we appear to be north of 70%. So th their system uh, really has completely melted down. And I've made clear that uh, our department will be holding them accountable for their responsibilities to customers, uh, both to get them through this situation and to make sure that this can't happen again. For all of those hold them accountable answers. I'm not clear. And to be, and to be fair, I did not watch that entire interview. I don't know if Wolf Blitzer actually came through with a follow-up question and asked Secretary Buttigieg, what does accountability look like? Like literally, what does that look like? Does it mean a change in policy? Does it mean perhaps doubling or tripling compensation for passengers who had their trips ruined or who were unable to get a, a hold of their luggage in a timely fashion. I mean, some of this is, is as he did say, unacceptable. I saw one passenger interviewed at a local airport who said that one of their family members had packed their life-saving medication and they had been without it for several days or a few days because of this snarled system that's that Southwest has allowed to happen. And to be honest, for people like myself who travel frugally <laughs> when I do fly, you know, Southwest being the greyhound of the air. Well, I know I think it has company now with like Spirit and Frontier Airlines and some other budget carriers. But Southwest was sort of that OG budget carrier, right? 
And I took a lot of trips. Thank you. Thank you to Southwest uh, for getting me to and fro for $59 one way, right? But apparently their system is so antiquated, the ways in which Southwest was not keeping tabs on their flights, their crews, passengers, and passenger luggage was just, as, as the old aunties say, trifling, <laughs> okay? It wasn't because Southwest didn't have the money to improve this system. It wasn't because their pilots and their flight staff and their unions have, it's not because they haven't been telling Southwest management for years now that since that such a an event like what we've seen here was destined to happen no southwest was just being trifling okay and southwest was making sure that most of its profits were being redistributed to its shareholders in the form of dividends in fact can you pop up that motley fool for me there colin um southwest was so confident in their third and fourth quarter 2022 fiscal projections that they decided to resume giving out dividends, resume paying dividends uh, to their shareholders because they had put a stop to it during 2020 when the airlines obviously um, had a major drop in in passengers and in uh, customers and service, et cetera. But now they're going to start paying the money back because they said, hey, especially towards this fourth quarter, the, the article talks about in the fourth quarter, well, projected fourth quarter, that Southwest year over year expected to see their profits raise between 13 and 17 percent of fourth quarter 2022 versus fourth quarter 2021. Uh, but they didn't see this coming. <laughs> they did. They did not anticipate this. They anticipated that revenue coming in. And part and part of the reason is. What the airlines are allowed to do, I'm sure you guys have seen, you know, different people recapping different parts of this, but basically is this, that the airlines know almost a year in advance what flights that they have available, what flights they're going to sell from different location to location. And they know currently that 10 months from now, 11 months from now, they may or may not have the staffing available in place to accommodate all of those flights, but it doesn't stop them from still selling those flights to customers. So we, as the customers are under the assumption, ooh, yes, here we are, December. I'm gonna plan me a nice trip for September, right? Mm -mm. <laughs> you, you can make plans all you want. Man makes plans, God laughs. And the CEO of Southwest Airlines is laughing even harder because he's already got your money for your upcoming trip months in advance, uh, knowing that the likelihood of it is gonna get canceled. And the other aspect of this, I think, has been eye-opening is that how many people truly do not understand what their rights are as passengers when an airline dicks you around in this way, the way the Southwest has. You are entitled to cash refunds, everybody. Even if they are so-called non-refundable flights, if your flight gets canceled, your airline owes you a cash refund. They're gonna offer you a voucher to which you should say no. <laughs> you should say nay to the voucher and tell them you want your money back, okay? Cash, homie, straight cash, homie. That's the only way we're gonna take it. And if your flight is delayed a, a significant amount, and though the language is not exactly clear as to what significant constitutes as, I would say <laughs> two to three hours or more, um, they gotta start running you some benefits, man. They gotta start breaking you off uh, with accommodations or making sure that you have access to the um, your your essentials, like giving you petty cash to go buy toothbrushes and face wash and the shit that you might require should you have to have an extended delay in a given place. So um, what this all reveals to me is that th this is just another aspect of, of America that we see collapsing, right? In my opinion, right? So the airlines over the pandemic received $54 billion in pandemic relief. Uh, a lot of that they went uh, to making sure, so they the, the federal government gave the airlines in part this giant chunk of money to make sure that they didn't lay off any of their staff. But what the airlines did instead, they did it sort of funny style was they went around to their crews, to their pilots, et cetera, and offered them buyouts. 
So whereas they weren't technically firing people, they were still eliminating and reducing, shrinking their, their labor force significantly. And as a result, we have partially what we see now. And please pay attention to when the flight staff and the pilots, when they have actions, when they have their protests, they usually don't strike. They haven't seen them striking so as of yet. Um, but they have been a, a several, several actions over this past year from flight staff and from pilots signaling that understaffing is a major problem. Overscheduling is a major problem. And even though Southwest is the culprit this time, it hasn't just been Southwest. If you could pop up that, was it Spirit Airlines, Colin? Can you pop up that article? Because I think this was last year. Spirit had to do a similar sort of realignment where they canceled 60% of their flights in order to reboot their system because their system was so antiquated and out of touch. Um, they ended up stranding a lot, a lot of people and people, again, all, always are not informed and attuned to what their rights are as passengers and in the ways in which the airlines have to compensate you. Um, but please be sure that I don't like to hear what accountability, I don't like to hear anybody from the Biden administration talk about accountability <laughs> because um, it, it, it usually doesn't amount to much. It usually doesn't mean much. Um, Joe Biden and his and his lackeys, they talk a great game about standing up for working people and standing up for labor rights and being pro-union president. And I'm the pro-abortion president. I'm this, I'm that. But how come under Democratic leadership and not to say that Republican leadership is is better because it ain't <laughs> it definitely is not. But how come under Democratic leadership? Uh, things just very blatantly fall apart. It's just blatantly falling down right before our eyes. Very shameful stuff to see coming out of Southwest. And unfortunately, for those who are traveling still, uh, this pain and these headaches are not over. Southwest canceled 2,500 flights today. And for people, if you guys remember the, the montage that we saw to sort of set things off, when the announcement was made in Phoenix's airport, I'm not sure if you caught it, but the, the person making the announcement said that chances are you're not going to get out of Phoenix for another four, four days, four days, four, four days, <laughs> four days. Um, welcome to end stage capitalism, everybody. It's, it's not fun. <laughs> it, 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 it's not fun uh, to see the infrastructure collapse right in front of our very eyes, right? And, and in ways like this, please understand that the whole system is vulnerable and susceptible. I don't think that this is tr truly just a Southwest problem. I saw a lot of the commentary and analysis talk about the hub and the spoke system and how, you know, Delta and United and American Airlines, they operate hubs. Southwest does not have a hub. They do point to point travel. Um, what if a hub goes down? What if Chicago goes down? What if the Bay goes down? What if Atlanta goes down? Like all of these airlines are equally susceptible to things like this that we saw happen today uh, with Southwest. And I, and I hate that it had to be Southwest <laughs> because I have traveled Southwest and flown Southwest a lot of times. And to be perfectly honest, I don't think that even this is going to discourage me from traveling Southwest in the future because usually, usually their customer service is on point. I've not had too many issues with lost luggage or even rebooking for that matter. So to see this fall down all around is surprising, also unsurprising, and very disappointing. And of course, our uh, my heart goes out to those that have been affected um, by these horrific travel conditions. Do me a favor, guys. Come on in here. Who oh, we got in here? Let me get into the to this here um to this place to the chat. What's going on with your chat? Thank you so much, Carl's. We appreciate you seeing in here. Carpe diem again. What happened to JetBlue? <laughs> I don't know what happened to JetBlue. Um, JetBlue still a thing. Hey, peace, Big Teal. Thank you so much for being in here. But American Airlines isn't much better. I pray every time. Listen, I can I can very easily for anyway. Would you guys like to hear another racism story? <laughs> so now I'm not going to tell you all that story. Uh, but for example, I I, I don't fly Delta 
uh, because I've had flight staff be racist to me and I refuse. And I've heard people say similar things about American airlines. They won't fly American. Uh, Of course, I'm talking about black people here, right? I've never, I don't think I've heard uh, any of my white friends complain about racist treatment on the airlines, right? Uh, But I have definitely experienced racist treatment on Delta Airlines and I refuse. I I absolutely refuse to fly Delta, but I've never had no problems with Southwest. This is why I I hate it had to be Southwest. I hate it had to be Southwest. And for the CEO to come on television talking about we apologize, no, sir. (laughs) You got to do way better than apologies. And kids, let this be a lesson. Stop buying them black luggage bags. Everybody got a black bag. Everybody that I saw on TV and online who had like a red luggage bag or a multicolored luggage bag, they were finding their shit. <laughs> okay. Like if you have that black luggage bag, mm, don't let it be you. And also one, one more quick reminder. Don't don't splurge. I don't think the status quo audience and neither is my audience, by the way. I don't think we're Louis Vuitton luggage luggage toters, right? So um, but if you have a taste for couture, don't don't buy the designer brand name luggage bag because in existence scenarios as though as the ones that we are seeing. That Louis Vuitton bag is getting took. <laughs> Louis Vuitton bag sitting all by its lonesome is getting stowed. So don't even waste your money. Don't do that. So anyway, do us a favor. Come on in here. Give us a thumbs up, a like, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Again, don't forget to sign up for the Status Quo sub stack. You can find Jordan's end of year wrap up detailing his most favorite stories, his on the ground reporting stories. And there were several, there were a bunch of those this year. Big up to everybody in Jackson, Mississippi, still struggling with their water crisis situation there. And of course, Status Coup was there as well. So sign up for the Status Coup Substack to become a member, subscriber to that, and you'll get uh, the good information as it is published and dispensed. And let me continue on briefly um, with this weather situation, this weather storm that again impacted airline travel across the country. But this is just the latest of these so-called bomb cyclone storms that we have seen over recent winters that have truly pounded the plains, pounded Northern California, um, the West Coast, pretty much across the country (laughs) have been impacted by these bomb cyclone storms, but truly in places in the upper Midwest, in the near near the Great Lakes, uh, these places have experienced it the hardest. And even in Buffalo, New York, this is their second storm this season to eclipse the four foot snow mark, five foot snow mark, six foot snow mark. And Buffalo is ready for snow. They expect snow. They expect ridiculous amounts of snow every year. They do not expect two relatively back to back five foot snow monsters. Okay. And what it revealed continues to reveal when we talk about the infrastructure of America and when you pair it and look at it next to the pending climate crisis. I mean, God, you you can't even say that climate change is coming because climate change is here. And when we see these massive winter storms wreaking havoc, I mean, think about Hurricane, um, well, Superstorm Sandy years ago that pounded New York City and the Jersey coast and up in that area and how much damage and how even, is it been 10 10 years since Superstorm Sandy? New Yorkers, New Jerseyers? Is everything fixed? (laughs) The the answer is no, of course it's not fixed. This is America. If this was China, that should have been fixed the next day. I digress, hold on, (laughs) let me hold on, let me hold on here. Because America is is determined to make sure that it is not ready for changing weather and, and more powerful storms. And Buffalo is a good example of that. Again, a place that is accustomed to seeing tremendous amounts of snow, uh, they really seem to wither and buckle under this most latest storm. And okay, so one argument can be made that maybe you can't really do a lot to prepare in advance of, of a snowstorm bringing you six feet of snow and hurricane force winds. Um, I disagree because I feel as though if the technology is available 
to predict such a storm, then the resources can very should be very easily accessed um, and motive and activated to make sure that people are number one housed. Let's start there. Number two, that there are places available for the unhoused to go to make sure that they will continue to have heat and shelter and power. Um, I think that our electric grids, as we have seen in Texas, that has been impacted by severe winter weather, um, our electrical grids are not up to snuff. Our whole infrastructure is not ready for the ways in which Mother Nature is about to continue to have her way with us. Um, and of course, Buffalo is the place where the Democrats squatted up to make sure that Democrat socialist candidate for mayor, India Walton, uh, was, was not successful in her mayoral attempt, despite winning the primary. And then current mayor, uh, Byron Brown, decided to run. What did he, what did he run? What party was it, y'all? The Buffalo Freedom Party <laughs> or something ridiculous? Uh, and, and he was aided by establishment Democrats and those on the right to ensure that India Walton did not get the mayoral victory there in Buffalo. So my deepest empathies and sympathies go out to the residents of Buffalo. But when I see Byron Brown flailing about and not being a, a good, competent, prepared mayor, I just have to shake my head. And I said, you know, Black women would have had all this shit together. <laughs> black women would have had all this shit together. But I digress. But I want us to take a look, um, just to give you an indication about the 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 ways in which the leadership in Buffalo and perhaps by extension Erie County just fell down on the job as it pertained to preparing for this storm. Because there was a lot of activists, I was watching, I think it was Democracy Now!, Amy Amy Goodman was speaking to one of the activists there in Buffalo who was extremely critical of Byron Brown and his administration for not making sure that the most vulnerable in Buffalo were taken care of. Because by the way, guys, in New York State alone, I think the death toll numbers are already at 65. And I think more than 30 of those deaths happened in Erie County where Buffalo is located. So you can imagine that likely the poorest people, the most unhoused people, people who who likely tragically might be dead in their homes in their homes right now, but crews just not have not reached them, right? Because the power situation um, is still unstable. But I want us to take a look, actually, let, I, let me look, okay, okay. Let me read you guys this. So this was posted by journalist uh, Nick Veronica in uh, New York State. And it says, oh, wow, Erie County executive on the snow removal in Buffalo. And listen to what the Erie County executive is going to say about the way that the snow removal efforts have gone in Buffalo. They've actually gone pretty poorly. And he is, is pointing a finger right at Byron Brown. So let's take a listen to this clip. There's a reason why the state and the county have come in and taken over operations. I know the mayor's not going to be happy to hear it, but we took over an entire segment, one third of the city of Buffalo, because we know that we could get in there and clean it very quickly. The state is basically doing the same thing with equipment from other areas. Uh, I've already had discussions with my staff about what it would take for the county to take over all snow, uh, snow cleaning operations in the future. Uh, and now I've had that discussion with New York State as well because I think it's apparent that it's time for it to happen, or at least a discussion on the future. Mayor's not gonna be happy to hear about it, but storm after storm after storm after storm, the city, unfortunately, is the last one to be opened, and that shouldn't be the case. It's embarrassing, to tell you the truth. Now. Now, when you hear the elected officials dragging each other like that, or rather, the Erie County executive dragging Mayor Brown that way, and again, you know, I, I don't root for everybody black. I mean, we're clear on that, right? <laughs> just because, just because they happen to be a black face in power does not mean I'm rooting for them. Lord have mercy. And I'm not rooting for Byron Brown. I'm rooting for the people of Buffalo. And it's, it's, it's a shame that this, is he a five-term mayor? This man has been in, in office for many, many years now. And you hear the county executive there from Erie County say that storm 
after storm, after storm, after storm. Buffalo city streets are usually the last cleared and it shouldn't be that way, right? Buffalo is the is the hub, is the center there in that part of, of upper New York state. Um, why are other less populated areas getting cleared before Buffalo? And we know that the, in terms of where the black population is in, in upstate New York, it's there, right? Well, what's there's some there's some blacks in, in Rochester, a couple places. They got them sprinkled around. Um, but Buffalo is, is where you're going to find the most black people in upstate New York. And to me, it's not a coincidence. And I can only assume that Mayor Brown is incompetent. <laughs> That's the only thing I can figure out. When 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 your counterpart is is is, is telling the world um, that what's happening to Buffalo is not acceptable, uh, I think people should pay attention. I'm really curious if India Walton has weighed in here on the status of the recovery after the storm. But there was a story that came out, and I want you guys to see it because it really, it's very touching, okay? And it's, it's another example of why communities need to stick together, coalesce together, form and create mutual aid groups. We need to know where the most vulnerable people are in our society, within our own communities. So when the government, state and federal, intentionally or not, falls down on the job because of incompetence or unwillingness to do what needs to be done, um, th the rest of us can step up to make sure that people are okay. So there was a story that has gone viral, and I want us to take a look. It's going to be about two minutes and some change here. And this was posted by Now This on social media, but I believe it is credited to a CNN reporter. And I want you to subtract all the goofy you know, emotional background music. I don't, I don't like when stories add all that extra shit. Just tell me the story. <laughs> I don't, I don't need all the production value, but this is very well done. So as the storm began to hit, there was a, a mom uh, and her boyfriend and her three children inside their home. And they were hearing cries of distress coming from outside. And it turns out there was a man outside in the middle of the storm during the height of the storm who was in, in very obvious distress and pain. And the woman, Shakaya, I think her name is Shakaila, decided to go live on Facebook and was pleading for help, pleading for assistance. But per usual, <laughs> uh, she and her family decided to spring into action to help this person who was experiencing what appeared to be the beginning symptoms of frostbite. And this is a very emotional story. So l let me give you guys a content warning. Well, a, a good content warning is so far, you know, everybody's alive. So let's start there. But the content warning is, is because this is, this is very emotional. Like I actually found myself kind of tearing up a little bit and, I, and I'm a, and I'm a G I don't cry and shit, but I found myself tearing up as I was watching this. So just take a listen to this story and how people jumped in to help somebody who was not only experiencing um, a, a health crisis, but who themselves were actually disabled. So let's take a look at this from now this. The worst of mother nature, bringing out the best of human nature. This is Buffalo resident Shakira Autry on Facebook Live. I currently have an older 64 year old white man in my house. Um, I found him yesterday. I heard him screaming for help. In the midst of Western New York's blizzard, Shakira spotted and heard the man in terrible pain in the frigid cold outside her house on the morning of Christmas Eve. Her boyfriend carried the man inside. That man is Joey White, seen in this picture at a Toronto Blue Jays baseball game. He got away from his, um, his home that he, he lives in a group home, he told me. Joey's sister says her brother is mentally challenged and does indeed live in a group home. He works at a movie theater. He may have gotten scared during the blizzard and tried to walk home from the theater, getting lost in the heavy snow outside the mother of three's house. Shakira did her best to take care of him, to comfort him, feed him, and pleaded for help with phone calls and on Facebook Live. This man is not about to die over here on 111. Y'all need to get this man some help. But her neighborhood was virtually impassable. Christmas Eve became Christmas Day. Joey was in immense pain with severe frostbite on his hands. Joe? Listen to Joe. How you feeling, Joe? Joe ready to go. 
He ready to go? He needs to go because he needs medical attention. I had to, he had a ring on his finger. I had to use these to cut the ring off of his finger. I'm not no surgeon. With her three children by her side, Shakira tried to comfort Joey. Joe? You, you, you feeling better? You trying to feel better? Pardon me? No, you're not gonna die. We, we're not talking about death. We, see, this is how you know he, he needs help. And that help was about to come. Good Samaritan showing up in a vehicle that could make it through the snow. Joey was on his way to the hospital. I'm right here, Joe. And Shakira rode with him. Jesse, I'm right here. You okay? I love you too, sweetie. You okay? Joey arrived at the hospital safely. This man could have died, 64 years old, could have died outside. I wasn't letting that happen on my watch and he wasn't gonna die in front of my kids. Joey has severe frostbite and is in the ICU in the hospital burn unit. His sister Yvonne telling us it's touch and go whether his hands can be saved. But overall, he's in stable condition and she is so grateful for Shakira Autry. This woman um, did something that an angel would do. Okay, um, to take in a perfectly stranger, a stranger. You took him in, in your home on Christmas Eve. Joey White's life was saved by a woman who cared deeply about a man she had never met. Thank you. I'm right here. I'm right here. Gary Tuckman, CNN, Atlanta. I'm not crying. You're crying. <laughs> I am. I am not crying. Y'all are crying. I am not crying. Mm -mm. I am so encouraged that number one, there are people among us who will do things like that. Cause I can assure you, there are a lot of folks and who, who are not necessarily wrong, but who would not have opened their doors to a strange man, especially in a black neighborhood. You think I'm opening my door for a strange white man? Mm -mm. <laughs> I mean, maybe if he was in distress, like Joe, yeah, I would. And and and, Sha and Shakira is is a angel, as Joe's sister said there at the end. Truly, an angel that would open her home where her family lives, right? And but but this is this is the problem, though. Like people, we, we shouldn't. We pay too much in taxes to be to be dependent upon the kindness of strangers when the state is right there, funded to the teeth, right? funded for 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 military action funded for law enforcement funded for police and and we don't have a good enough grasp on making sure that the most vulnerable among us are okay in in calamitous situations like extreme weather events like this one that we just saw um and i'm not even sure who was supposed to be looking after joe or make sure that joe was where he was but thank god that shakira was where she was because gang there were some other videos and i did not pull them because they were just a little bit too graphic to be perfectly honest but um there are videos on social media of people tragically frozen to death in the streets of buffalo okay and but for shakira's very generous and compassionate actions that would have been joe that would have been joe joe was was on his way out of here until shakira and her family stepped into action so i so i mean i guess that's a bit of a good news because some sometimes reporting on the stories that we do here on the left we are usually not left with a lot of good news so I am encouraged that Joe is going to survive. I hope that he's getting the treatment that he needs. And I hope he's able to save his hands um, from, from the frostbite as it appears it was setting in. So um, thank you, Big Teal. Again, aggressive, progressive. Thank you, House is Lost Tribe. Be the good Samaritan. Yes, ultimately, I, I agree with that. You guys know I'm kidding. I, I would help. <laughs> I, I would help a white man in distress. I would. I have in the past. Some some of them have been drunk and un unable to, <laughs> to, to to stand up. And I've helped them. I've helped them find the way. Yes, I'm a good Samaritan. I am the good Samaritan you speak of there, House's Lost Tribe. You guys, give the video a like and a thumbs up. Please become a subscriber and a member of Status Coup and go on over to Substack and become a new subscriber to the Status Quo newsletter and sign up for the end of the year roundup, the, the on the ground reporting. You can find that on Status Quo Substack. And I've seen in this chat before, 
perhaps it was in the comments. Someone asked why I always grab the mic. Well, first of all, I'm an MC and that's what I do. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm not, I'm not a rapper, <laughs> but, um, I, I stem. I think this is a way that I stem. I, I, I have no formal, uh, adult autism diagnosis, but I think this is a way that I stem. And if you guys could see what I'm doing with my hands and feet otherwise. <laughs> Truly, me grabbing the microphone on a semi-regular basis is probably the least um, annoying of the things that I do. But if it annoys you, mm, you be all right. All right, so moving on to our last and final story. And this is a story that really touches a lot of different things. So coming out of Kansas, a, a, a startling, startling revelation. So I was trying to follow up on this and I was kind of blown away. So, and, and there's a couple of things that need to be corrected within this story because um, some of it got a little overblown, but I don't think it was, you know, that far out of pocket. So the story starts off like this. So as of, I think this was over the Christmas holiday, there was a patient um, receiving treatment at a Kansas hospital, okay? And this patient is terminal, okay? They have um, a diagnosis of cancer and we know what cancer can be um, for those who have inoperable cancer, which is uh, the case with this particular patient. Uh, they were diagnosed with cancer that was unable to be operated upon. So what the patient and their family and their doctors are trying to do is obviously manage their pain uh, for their end of life. So while this person, this patient was in the hospital, they decided to self-medicate with some cannabis, including using a weed vape pen, a THC pen, to ease the symptoms of the cancer, okay? That apparently, again, this patient is so far gone with their diagnosis that they have only been given weeks to live. So while this person, this patient, cancer patient, terminal cancer patient was in the hospital, they were vaping, okay? Vaping THC with the vape. Someone from the hospital staff called the police. Someone from the hospital staff called the police on a terminally ill cancer patient who was vaping to stop the pain. And the reason that the hospital staff gave for calling the police was because, well, number one, medical use of cannabis is not legal in the state of Kansas. And the staff were apparently concerned about a fire hazard. Um, I guess, <laughs> I guess, okay. Um, pop up that, that article for me there, the, the Sioux... The Sioux Land Cloud. Is that what that says? Yes. The Sioux, the Sioux and Proud. I'm sorry. I can't read. Sioux for me, Colin, if you, if you hadn't already popped that up. Um, and so at first when I said, oh, they called the police on a cancer patient, had to have been a black person. <laughs> had to have been a black person. Uh, but no, I was mistaken. They, on the local news, uh, interviewed this patient's son, and the son appeared to be white. Now, this we are in Kansas, so they could be whitewashed indigenous people. I don't know. But I, I said, who calls the police on terminal cancer patients? I said, had to have been a black patient. <laughs> and I said, it had to have been. I said, there ain't no way it was going to do white people like this. But yes, it appears they have exactly done white people like this. So as it was reported in the sueandproud.com is that the police came and, and they described it, the outlet that is, they described this as a raid, okay? Um, well, it turns out that the Hayes, Kansas Police Department um, themselves have wanted to refute or make clear some other aspects of the story. If you could pop up, I think that's KSN piece there, Colin. It says the police dismiss uh, the, the, the allegations of a raid. Okay. And what they actually did was when the police arrived, two officers apparently showed up after the hospital called the police, the hospital staff had confiscated the cannabis materials and gave them to the two officers. When they arrived, the police officers in turn decided, uh, to ticket this cancer patient with some variation of possession. Um, but 
before they left, one of the officers was described as feeling uncomfortable with giving this terminally ill cancer patient a ticket (laughs) of which they were supposed to show up to court on January 2nd, right? Outrageous. So uh, the police chief here wanted to sort of make the story a bit clearer because they argue that two officers does not denote a raid. And sure, I guess usually (laughs) two officers does not denote a raid. But when you have two officers coming into a hospital, entering a hospital room to what I would assume is to at minimum interrogate and or question someone who is laid up in the bed, terminally ill with cancer, I can see how the patient or other patients for that matter and the family of the terminally ill patient could interpret that (laughs) as, as aggressive state action. The fuck are the police doing here for my relative that is laid up in the bed dying of cancer for a vape pen? So what has the, the the final outcome of this is that the police have decided to drop the charges. They have dismissed the ticket written for the terminally ill cancer patient. And there's a couple of things out of this story that, are, that, that obviously bear raising. First and foremostly is why are we still fighting the war on drugs? Why, why are we still fighting the war on drugs? Why is there even space for a snitch, basically a snitch <laughs> to call the police and for the police to show up pertaining to some sort of cannabis possession, right? I, I would love for us to get to the point in this country where literally every single place in America, if you attempted to call the police for marijuana, they would laugh and hang up on you, right? Like I would love for us to finally get to that point where marijuana is a zero priority for law enforcement, as should be most drugs. And then we can we can argue, we could debate, you know, with the rise of fentanyl and the opioid crisis, X X Y Z. Uh, but regardless, there are still tens of thousands of people, possibly more languishing in prison uh, for simple drug possession. And that should not be the case. I don't even think people should be arrested for selling drugs, okay? Uh, shit, uh, people need to survive under capitalism, right? And, and drugs will sell, baby. <laughs> Them drugs is gonna sell. Uh, ask your teenagers, I'll tell you all about it. Um, the other part of this to me has to do with some sort of health privacy. And I understand that when you live in a place like Kansas where marijuana, um, you know, still can trigger a law enforcement response. Uh, there, there is a space there to call the police because technically it's against the law. Okay. Well, as a healthcare provider or a healthcare worker, certainly, certainly, surely you can look at the situation and assess the level of danger, not only to that particular patient, but to other patients and to even the staff. If you were concerned about the vape being a fire hazard, Um, then maybe somebody should sit there with him while he's vaping to make sure that the temperature is not up too high on the vape, that the vape's not getting overheated uh, to ensure that the vape is working properly, okay? And some people might argue, well, that's maybe not a nurse's job. Well, I think a nurse's job or a healthcare worker's job, somebody that works in a hospital setting, is there to provide the best care that they can for the patient. And to understand that the limitations of the law, that people who are at the end of life and perhaps suffering don't always have the autonomy to take the pain medication drugs that their pain dictates, um, that, that's a problem, okay? And I need for healthcare workers to understand that first and foremost, you have a moral obligation to your patients more so than you have a legal obligation to the system. I mean, what, what was the healthcare workers, what was their intention? What do you think the final outcome was going to be here? Why was you trying to get a terminally ill person, quote unquote, in trouble to, to what ends? Okay. And the other aspect about this that I wanted to bring up is that normal, the national organization for the reformation of marijuana laws For the longest time, I thought Willie Nelson ran normal. (laughs) I think I've said this before. I thought Willie Nelson was normal. I thought every, I thought Willie Nelson was, was, was the H, was the H white person in charge, the (laughs) white person in charge of normal. But anyway, anyway, so normal, everybody knows normal. Normal has Kansas actually as one of their states to watch in 2023, because Kansas is not uh, up 
up on the same level of progression when it comes to marijuana laws that other places are. Now, I was a little bit surprised by that, considering the way the Kansans voted for the um, abortion access to remain in place in Kansas. Again, that was part of a, that was a statewide referendum and Kansans voted to make sure that abortion access remained available. So I thought Kansas was a tiny, teeny, tiny bit progressive. I didn't know they were still sort of so draconian when it comes to their marijuana laws. Well, at the end of this 2022 state legislative session in Kansas, the, the next steps are these very slow hurdles for some sort of regulatory commission for medical marijuana um, seem to be going in the correct direction. But as I was watching a story from this cancer patient's son who said very plainly that if medical marijuana was available for consumption in, Can in Kansas, then, then their father um, would not have been subjected to, to, the, to this police action um, that I'm sure was contributing to stress and anxiety of which I would imagine is already a very, very stressful and anxious time when you know that the your your days on this planet are dwindling quickly and it hurts, right? And you would like for it to stop hurting. And the THC vape is helping with that. And then there's some snitch nurse walking around the fucking hospital that's gonna call the cops on you because you don't want the pain to hurt anymore. Outrageous. There needs to be a national legalization of marijuana, period, point blank. Whatever little shit that George, uh, George Biden, <laughs> they, they, all, all, they all blend in together. Obama blends in there together right with them too. Trust me, I get, I get, these, I get these wayward fucking presidents confused all the time because what is the difference truly? But if Joe Biden was really serious about doing something regarding reforming marijuana laws, first thing he would do, which again, I know that he can do this via executive order. I don't know why Nancy Pelosi insists on lying to people and saying that Joe Biden cannot arbitrarily deschedule marijuana from a schedule one narcotic because he can, <laughs> he can absolutely do that. Um, he is in charge of the DEA. I believe the DEA is under executive purview of the executive branch, right? He can do that, uh, but he won't. Now, why won't he? I don't know. <laughs> my, my guess is because he's racist and trifling, among other things. Um, but if he was serious about making sure that there was a harm reduction behind the way that these um, dra draconian marijuana laws are still in place, that they are still in force, there needs to be some sort of federal action when it comes to marijuana. It's good that there have been so many states and the District of Columbia that have decided to take things into their own hands because the federal government is just just insistent upon not only dragging their feet, but just being the opposite of a progressive government. Like they don't want things to progress. Apparently they would love uh, for different variations of the war on drugs to remain in place because America is invested in the carceral system, okay? America wants people to be in jail. I mean, look at the numbers. The numbers indicate that. We have the most people in the world behind bars in this country, which tells me that America is not invested in democracy. It's invested in jails. <laughs> it, it is invested in jails and um, weapons of, of war and death. That's what America is invested in. Not democracy, not education, not freedom. Um, it, it wants people to remain in jail and it is incumbent upon us to continue to put the press on this president, right? He thinks that moving to the middle, becoming more centrist or conservative, really, because what Joe Biden is, is a 1980s Republican, <laughs> in, in my opinion. Um, the Democrats have done a really good job of reconservatizing themselves um, away from any sort of meaningful progressive or leftist change in terms of their policies. And that's over. Like we we need to make sure that Joe Biden understands that this is a very serious thing. Him writing pardons for sixty five hundred people who are convicted federally on marijuana, like that's cute. That's a really nice, cute start. Uh, but when the police are being called to hospital rooms to write tickets for terminally ill cancer patients, there is something fundamentally wrong with this country with marijuana policies, and the changes need to start from the top, from the federal government, uh, to make sure that the message 
is out there and that the policy is changed. So anyway, guys, let me let me push off. <laughs> let me let me let me let me let me turn Colin loose. Uh, so Colin can go do other things. Please do me a favor. Go on over to my channel. It's Burn It Down with Kim Brown. My show airs every Tuesday and Friday, 7 p.m. Eastern time. I talk about a lot of things on my show. I talk about environmental issues. I really talk about issues that center and focus black women as I am a black woman. <laughs> I care about other people, but I care about black women the most. So if you're interested in the black women's perspective, which I know a lot of people are not, but if you are, <laughs> come come on and get it from me. Come on over to KB's channel. Burn it down with Kim Brown every Tuesday and Friday, 7 in the p.m. And shout out to my comrades over on Black Power Media. We do the remix morning show Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday mornings, 8 a.m. Eastern. We are on a little holiday break for the moment, uh, but you can always get amazing content over at Black Power Media as well. So, gang, I appreciate you all so much. Thank you so much, uh, my fire fam, which always shows up and shows love. Thank you guys to so, so, so much. Uh, happy Kwanzaa. <laughs> Enjoy, enjoy the rest of your Kwanzaa holiday uh, here. And thank you so much to Jordan and Colin. And I will see you guys here next Wednesday. See you later. Bye-bye.